Galatians chapter 3, where Paul read for us earlier, picking it up in verse 6, we read, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And as the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nation by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just will live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, the great exchange, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is part one. Next week, we'll finish out chapter three, which is even a little bit more different of a subject. For those of you joining us for the first time, I am gonna do, or watching for the first time live stream, I'm gonna do a little review so you'll see the flow of uh, the book of Galatians. Um, What Paul is doing, um, he had a problem with the Corinthian church. Um, And the problem was, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter five, there was a man committing sexual immorality on a regular basis, coming to church every Sunday. Everybody knew about it, and nobody was doing anything about it. And so they wrote a letter to Paul. Paul says, look, I'm not there, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, remove such a man. Pray for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. So basically, here's a guy going to church, thinking he's going to heaven, and he says, no, turn him over to the devil and let the devil work him over, and don't let him have any fellowship. And... um, Um, he made it very, very clear this man is not saved. It's the most loving thing you can do. Boot him out. Well, most of the people in the church received Paul's admonition. And um, Paul, in his letter, says to the church in Corinth, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, this is affecting the whole church. They might be getting the idea it's all right to slip around or whatever. Deal with it. They dealt with it. The majority did. However, there were a handful of those that were having problem with Paul speaking with such authority and he's not even there. And remember Corinth, the wealthiest um, city at the time, Population 700,000, two-thirds of the people were slaves, 
And remember every weekend, the um, temple prostitutes, a thousand of them, would come down, and that's why it was such an immoral city. And that had drifted into the church. And that's why the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. So, but there was this group that had this attitude. Who does Paul think he is? Writing these strong terms and telling us what we can and what we can't do. And so most of 2 Corinthians is Paul, chapter after chapter after chapter, explaining what an apostle is, number one. That he's nobody. But as an apostle, he's actually speaking in the name of the Father. And what's coming down and the instructions that were mandated to the Corinthian church wasn't from Paul. He says, I'm an apostle. Um, This is coming from the Lord himself. And so he comes at it from different angles through most of 2 Corinthians explaining the authority that he has as one of the apostles. And he does have the authority to remove that person. Well, good news. Guy got kicked out. And he got a chance to think about it. And he repented. And in 2 Corinthians, it talks about Paul now writing to them again and said, this guy saw the light. And I want you to welcome him back into the church. Um, Don't look at him as a second-class Christian, anything like that. And remember, you're a sinner yourself. Good place for an amen. And um, that's the way it it should be. Um, Now, as we move into Galatians, the Corinthian problem was a moral one. And I want to make a distinction also that the Corinthian church was a singular church. When we start the book of Galatians, it's plural. He's writing to the churches in Galatia, which is a province. And so... Paul had to defend the gospel by being saved by grace through faith. However, there was a group of saved Jews, Pharisees actually, called themselves Judaizers. And they would follow Paul around to these churches in Galatia. Paul would preach the gospel and um, people would come to Christ. And then these these handful of uh, Pharisees, Judaizers, would come up and say, did Paul preach the gospel here? He says, sure did. Did he also tell you that you have to keep the law too? No, he didn't say that at all. He says, well, you do. You have to keep the law too. Unless you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, but keep the law, you cannot be saved. So most of the book of Galatians is Paul speaking against these Judaizers. Go back to chapter one of uh, Galatians, verses six and seven, uh, where he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace to Christ to a different gospel. Well, what was different about it? Well, the gospel is just the gospel without adding anything to it And Paul says, I marvel that you guys are turning away to another gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. By doing what? By saying you have to keep the law too. 
that is another gospel. I think the example that I used when we went through this was that of baptism. That there are denominations, one that I came out of, that said part of being saved besides believing the gospel is you have to be baptized too. And if you're not, then you're not saved. Same with Roman Catholicism. That is another gospel. Absolutely no difference than what the Judaizers were doing here. They were adding to it. If you go to chapter three, where we are here, the first five verses, he says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth uh, before those eyes of Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? So he's really coming on strong um, on these Judaizers. Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's where we left off. Now our text this morning is um, Paul addressing the, this, and he's going to be using Abraham as an example. And to me, this is an extremely interesting um, chapter as it deals with God and the Jews that will be saved, how they're different from the church that exists during the time now, and the Jews that will be saved during the tribulation period. That'll become more clear and evident when we get to part two next week. But he's gonna now, just like he did with the Corinthians, use examples, he's gonna use example of Abraham. Let's read verse six and seven again. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham, catch this, beforehand, saying in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Well, the question that comes up here that caught my attention is where and when? Where and when did God preach the gospel to Abraham? And the answer to that question is in Genesis chapter 22. So let's make our way back there. Genesis 22 is the offering of Isaac. I want to tell you ahead of time that um, this is um, over 400 years before Moses would get the commandments. So this is before the law is even given. Okay, So let's pick it up in verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. 
And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now you can't read that without, in the back of your head, thinking of John 3.16. God gave his only begotten son, whom he loved. So already we're seeing a picture of Isaac here being a type of Christ. So, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. I I have the word and underlined in my Bible. It's a continuing motion, what Abraham does here. He doesn't say to the Lord, what did you say? Take my son and kill him? Is that what you're telling me to do? No, there's none of that here. He, he says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and settled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. Now, it was a three-day journey for Abraham and he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar so off. The place that... Um, Uh, he was taken to was one of the mounts. We know it today as Mount Moriah. And um, it took him three days to get there. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. God had made Abraham a promise that through your seed, singular, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He believed it by faith that um, if God is telling him to do it, and God cannot lie, um, and now he's telling the guys that were with him, we'll be back. He knew he was gonna be back, even if his son Isaac is killed. He knows he's gonna come back with Isaac. And Abraham said to the young man, and we read that, verse six, so Abraham took the wood on the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. All right, what I see in this verse is um, a cross laid on Jesus and him carrying his own cross. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. In other words, they were in agreement with it. Isaac didn't say, listen, you crazy old senile man, what in the world do you think you're doing? But they went in agreement. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way that you can save mankind, then take this cup from me. He said, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. We can't even fathom I know my sins over my lifetime stack quite high, actually. They went in agreement. And I think of the sins of the world. I know my sins, you know your sins. But we're talking the sins of the people of all time. Jesus really did die for the sins of everyone. But not everyone receives the gift that is offered to them. But when Jesus said, it is finished, the work was done. And now salvation is a gift, free, added nothing 
to it. That is what Galatians is all about. And now he's using Abraham as an example. He's doing this by faith. And so we read in verse eight, Abraham said, my son, God, uh, verse seven, but Isaac spoke to his father. He said, my father, here I am, my son. He said, look, we have the fire and the wood, and where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide, now I have a version of the New King James Bible. It has the article four in it. It should not be there. If you have a King James version of the Bible, it reads, um, God will provide himself. This was such a big issue with Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck got me hooked on the New King James Bible until he got to this verse. He says, this changes the gospel in the picture because when you add the article for himself, that's different than saying himself literally. And so he wrote Thomas Nelson. He says, you guys need to change this. Do your homework. Go to the original Hebrew. Look at it. What does it say? They wouldn't do it. It would have cost them millions of dollars to get rid of their uh, uh, New King James Version of the Bible. I can only use it because I know where everything's supposed to be. And, um, but I do stop here and point out verse eight, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide, it should say himself, literally, the lamb for a burnt offering, and the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And um, Isaac would have been younger and stronger and he could have um, not gone along with this. And Abraham stretched out his hand, knives up in the air to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. He's prophesying. He knows. How does he know? Because we read in Galatians that the gospel was preached to Abraham before. Before the law was even given. And he was saved because of his faith. God promised that in his seed, Isaac, all the nations are gonna be blessed. Well, if Isaac is dead, that's the end of that seed. And um, so he, by faith, simply believed the word of God. Another good place for an amen. Amen. And so he prophesies here that the angel... Uh, We'll just leave it at verse 14. He prophesies, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
I take that as saying, when you visit Israel, the Temple Mount is um, uh, 724 meters above sea level. But that's not the top of Mount Moriah. The top of Mount Moriah is that there's a place there called Golgotha. It is 777 meters above sea level. And that is the top. And if you're gonna offer a sacrifice, don't we read some of the things uh, that they did wrong when they were, Israel was worshiping on the high places? Well, they didn't go halfway up the mountain. They went to the top of the mountain. And that's what I believe happened here. So when Abraham says the Lord will provide it on his mount, I believe that place is called um, Calvary, Golgotha, and that's why we're called Calvary Chapel. We take it after the reference to Calvary. Turn with me to John chapter eight, and I'm looking at verses 56 through 59. What's going on in this chapter is a debate between um, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Lord. They're trying to trap him. Uh, matter of fact, because uh, it's a shorter study this morning, I'm gonna back up a little bit. Let's pick it up in verse 39. Um, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. So they're bragging that they're Jews and that they're sons of Abraham. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You did the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, um, this is a dig and sarcasm, well, we weren't born of fornication. So evidently the word was out that um, um, Mary was pregnant when she married Joseph, uh, which of course is not true. We have one father, God. Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? because you are not able to listen to my words. You are of your father, the devil, and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. I want to say today, completely off track from what's going on, here to what I see going on in the world today. I see people, globalists, key leaders in the world that are demon possessed. And they couldn't tell the truth or explain the truth if they wanted to because I truly believe that many of them are demon possessed. Just as Jesus is saying to these guys, you're of your father, the devil, and he's a liar. And he's been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Go ahead, point one out. What did I do wrong? And if I tell the truth, 
Why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you have our Samaritan and you have a demon? And Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never see death. How's that for a promise? Then the Jews said to him, no, we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets too. And you say, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And this is where it gets interesting. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And I say, and if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and kept his word. Now catch verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Are you guys picking up what I just read? In other words, he's saying he met with Abraham. He was glad to see by day, and he saw it, past tense. Then the Jews said, you're not even 50 years old. And you said you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to him, most assuredly I say to him, before Abraham was, I am. There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, and this is one of them. It's the voice from the burning bush, I am that I am. And here he is saying, even before Abraham was, I am. What is John 8 telling us? That the gospel was preached to Abraham um, and he was there. I'm gonna quote, G, uh, let me finish it. Then they took up stones to throw at him um, because that was blasphemy as far as they were concerned. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and passed by. Um, a paragraph from J. Vernon McGee on this, these verses. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because uh, thou hast obeyed my voice. Genesis twenty-two, fifteen. Apparently at this time God preached the gospel to Abraham because the offering of Isaac is one of the finest pictures of the offering of Christ. Although God spared Abraham's son, God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. The important thing that Paul wants us to see is in Abraham's life is that he obeyed the voice of God. Abraham was willing to offer his son when God commanded it. And when God says stop, he stopped and he obeyed the voice of God. He demonstrated by his actions that he had faith in God. Again, we believe God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
just obedience. This is what God said, therefore I'll do it, and God is faithful. And the the word seed there is in the singular, not seeds, but seed. And um, with that, let's turn back to Galatians chapter three and pick it up in verses 10 through 14 where he now goes on to say, for as many as are of the works of the law, and this is what the Judaizers were trying to say, yeah, believe the gospel, but you gotta keep the law too. Now the argument he's using is Abraham. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I want to expound on this, and I want you to turn to um, um, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 27. The first five books of Moses and Deuteronomy 27 is where we're looking at. And I want to draw your attention to verses 25 and 26, because uh, this is quoted in Galatians. He says, as it was written. So he's pointing them back to Deuteronomy. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and the people all say amen. And then he says, cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law and all the people said, amen. What's being said here, Dwight? Well, if you're guilty of committing and breaking one of the laws, one of the commandments, then you are guilty of all of them. That's what he's saying. And he goes on, in Gal- in, back in Galatians, we can go back to Galatians now, but we'll be coming back to Deuteronomy in just a second. So what's being said here is um, it's one or the other. You, you can't keep the law, and if you try to and keep one of them, but you break one of them, then you're guilty of all of them. Now verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. This is also um, a prophecy from the book of Habakkuk, chapter two, verse four. The just will live by faith. How did Abraham live? By faith. That's why Paul's using him here as an example. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, again, going back, connecting the Old Testament prophecy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now I want to stop here and go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. So back to Deuteronomy, but this time we're looking at chapter 21, 21-22. If man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death, and hang him on a tree. Capital punishment in Israel was stoning. It wasn't crucifixion. Crucifixion was invented by the Romans. 
So when it says in Isaiah 53, they pierced my hands and my feet, that had that form of capital punishment was not even invented yet. This was something that the Romans came up with. So why are you cursed if you hang on a tree? Um, If a man commits a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree. In other words, he's already dead, but then they put him on a tree. And then it says, cursed is, and his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. So my point is here, uh, let's go back and finish up in Galatians, where it tells us that um, uh, the curse is tied directly into cursed according to the law is anyone who is hangs from a tree. Why? That the blessings of Abraham might once come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that he might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, as we, I'm not gonna read the rest of these chapters, but I do wanna look at the last couple of verses and uh, reiterate the main point that Paul is trying to make here. What's his problem? It's a doctrinal one. Paul is adamant. He's saying he's using Abraham as an example. 400 years before the law was even written, Abraham's seed is gonna bless the entire world. Singular seed. It's a picture, Isaac's just a picture of the seed um, that is talked about in the book of Genesis. Singular, the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. Well, in that context, it's not seeds, plural, it's seeds, singular. Who bruised and killed the, 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 the devil? Well, Jesus Christ. How, how did that accomplish that? By the cross. Singular. And so it was by faith before the law even came around. So what Paul does here is he uses these 14 verses and um, this chapter here. All the world is going to be blessed because of the seed, singular, Jesus Christ. And the work that he did not the works that we do. And this is the argument that he is making. And then in, uh, we'll close up with this uh, uh, this week and next week. And uh, he says, you guys are Pharisees and you're, you're, you're Jews. We had this meeting in Acts 15, this was all taken care of, that we're not gonna put this burden on the Gentiles. Um, and we read in verse 28, where it says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You Judaizers, you Gentiles, you're equal in the eyes of the Lord. And the Gentiles were clearly told in Acts 15 they don't have to keep the law. And um, now you're telling them that they have to. And here he's saying, no, you guys are all one. Everybody here that has 
simply like the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He doesn't say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, keep the commandments, make sure you go to church every Sunday, make sure you brush your teeth. He doesn't say any of that stuff. But it's just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed singular and heirs according to the promise. Have you received God's promise? Have you received God's free gift, adding nothing to it? When you add something to it, you always can't keep up with it because you'll blow it. I like to say if I'm any part of the equation, if you're any part of the equation, that's, there's something else that you have to do besides the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you're in big trouble. Good place for an amen. But what it produces is what I like to call an attitude of gratitude. When Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, what was the debate with the Pharisees? Well, you're of your father the devil. Uh, He doesn't have the truth, never has. I have the truth and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the simple gospel when received to salvation, simply believing God's word. He said it, therefore it is finished. That makes me happy. And um, I don't have to climb the chalkboard ladder because all my sins have been washed away. I don't know if I can speak for Tom for sure or not, but (laughs) Uh, with that, you can see why we have part one and part two. So next week we'll finish Picking it up in 15, let's stand up and we'll close in prayer. Lord, how grateful we are that we do know the truth. And in knowing the truth, as you said, you did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. You are the only one, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. And when you said, it is finished, it was finished. The seed spoken about and prophesied about in Genesis 3, the seed of the woman, would destroy the works of the devil. And that is accomplished for anyone who's listening over the internet or is here this morning. As he said to the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And the simple answer is simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen Amen and amen.